Well, I'm not sure where today's show is going. Things are really bad right now in the world of the Chicago Cubs. Welcome into number 73 of Behind the Yellow Line. Full crew here tonight. We got Randall J. Sanders. We've got Jeremy Gene Specter, Rodan O'Shea here. Guys, is this rock bottom? Ten straight losses for the Cubs, slapped around by the Padres. What do we think, Randall? This is this is bad baseball. Well, I said the last time we were discussing long losing streaks, it's only rock bottom until you find the next rock bottom. Unless you've hit bedrock, you can always go lower. So this might be rock bottom for right now, but there's still a whole lot of season left to go. Jeremy, you were at Wrigley Field today. Uh, is the vibe rock bottom right now, or am I overreacting a bit? Uh, based on today, and you remember it was a day game, but it was a sunny, nice sunny day game. I don't, I don't really think there was like a a crazy vibe. I think the vibe of people there were just kind of out there to have fun today. And it was, you know, Cubs baseball is normal. It, it kind of felt like a vibe, you know, like a 2011, 2012, 2013 vibe where the action, you know, but it wasn't like a depressing. It was like, okay, this team kind of is crap. It's we've seen it for the last week. It's, you know, we're not going to win this baseball game. So might as well just have a nice day in the sun. That was kind of vibe for where I was getting. How fortunate were all those people at Wrigley today that it was a nice day to be in the sun. We've had some some uh, rather unpleasant weather of the, the heat and humid variety this week. A little nicer today, had a breeze off the lake, I believe. People sitting at a day game earlier this week to see this team, I, I would have questioned some sanity and I would have worried for a lot of people because that's a lot to subject yourself to between the baseball, the heat and the humidity earlier this week. It was a nice it's day at the ballpark. Yeah, yeah, Outside of the score. Rough, for sure. Ten straight losses for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, something that struck me here, and it's not that they're just losing games. I mean, the Cubs are getting absolutely blown out. In the last week here, going back to the Bronx last weekend, there has been an 8 nothing loss, an 18-4 to loss, a 12-5 to loss in a game that you had led 5-0 to at one point, uh, 19-5 to loss. Today, I guess, was at least close a six to four loss. If you're a Cubs fan and you're saying to yourself, is this the worst stretch of Cubs baseball I've ever seen in my life? I'm not trying to be dramatic here. In many ways it is stat today from Ed Hardig, the Cubs historian for the first time since 1879, 1879, the Cubs outscored by 20 or more in back-to-back series. Padres, Yankees, Cubs outscored by at least 20 runs. This is unbelievably bad Chicago Cubs baseball. And for the last week, it has not been this bad since 1879. What do you think the uh, Chicago sports media was like in 1879? Do you think there were take, do you think there were take artists in the, the, the 1879 papers too? Do you think they were transmitting via telegram hot takes about the Cubs? There's always been take artists, Randall. There's always yes. been take artists. That's but, true. But to actually, the second oldest profession in history. To actually answer your question, though, Randall, there really wasn't sports journalism in 1879. I mean, we're is, talking maybe a sentence or two periodically about how the team is doing. Newspaper sports sections didn't really happen for 20 years after that. So there wasn't a lot of coverage of that team. One or two sentences about what the team is actually doing. So they had national baseball broadcasts well ahead of their time, is what there you're saying. There you go. It's it's unfathomable how bad the stretch of baseball has been. Um, I mean, we're talking complete blowouts day after day after day. Yeah, it's been terrible. It's been pretty awful. 
Um, you know, we, I, I, you and I mentioned like last week, we were talking about, I was like, oh, the run differential, you know, it's not that bad, or we've been in tight games and it's been extra innings. And, and they did play that extra inning game in New York on a, you know, they had chances to win that game, that ball game. It seems like they can never get that, the guy on second in ever. But then after that, it just, the floodgates just opened up and it was just, it's been terrible. And, you know, it, it's been bad. And, and, you know, you would put on point out that you, like four fifths of the Cubs rotation has been just hurt. Yeah. I mean, Kyle Hendricks has a pitch, had a dead arm, did come back, pitched actually pretty well against the Padres. Stroman's on the IL, Wade Miley's on the IL. So like the rotation's not there. You have Suzuki, who you were expecting. He's been on the IL for a lot of time. So now what we're seeing is we're seeing like, it's not like this team ever had any depth. Like if the Cubs were going to be good, the top players had to perform after that there's no depth and so we're just seeing just time after time just getting shelled the bull i mean it's not good when frank schwindel is pitching multiple days and yeah not even attempting to pitch honestly to be fair just just throwing up you to be honest you do it i feel like you have to attempt to throw a 35 mile per hour pitch whatever he's been throwing like that's difficult to do from 60 uh 66 feet so 66 inches but uh it, I don't know. It's been disappointing and uh, it's not been a fun week to be a Cubs fan. Even as I no. said, it's a good day to get good day to go to the ball game. It was not been a fun week at all at that 12, five loss when you're up five, two, as you mentioned, awful. It, the, the novelty of the position player pitching has worn off for me a little bit. You know, if you're a good team and you get blown out occasionally and someone wants to go out there and give you, give you an inning throwing 75 or so, and when you're going to come out the next day and keep winning, that's fine. We, we've seen it twice in a week now. The, the novelty has worn off. I would be okay with fewer position players pitching solely because I would be okay with the Cubs being in slightly more games. So the novelty is has worn off of that heavily for me. Well, I, I would just – oh, sorry. I would just point out that – then, and I agree with you, Randall. The novelty is worn off. But the novelty is worn off because, like, it's happening so often in baseball. It's not just a Cubs thing. It's it's like we've developed this 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 game where the pitchers are just you know if we we have thirteen man pitching staffs, and yet we're still seeing a record amounts every year of position players p- pitching, and it's kind of ridiculous. And I think it's there's kind of a fundamental issue with the ball game there. Um, something needs to be done to address that because I agree with you, Randall. The novelty of position players pitching is 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 totally worn off for me. And it should be noted that they had to codify it in the latest CBA. You are not allowed to use a position player pitcher unless the deficit is six runs in either in either direction. So, you know, it it has become common enough that they felt the need to address it directly as they set the rules that will carry baseball for at least the next four or five years. So, yeah, I, I would love to see. And I don't have no idea how we would track this. This would be one of those people who has just an innate ability to look at baseball history and read it like the Matrix. I would love to know what the frequency of position players pitching was maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And I would love to see that plotted out. And I would imagine we'd see like a mountain form exponentially increase. I'd love if any of our listeners are capable statisticians and know how to uh, read the scriptures like that, I would love to know those numbers, how position player pitchers have increased in frequency or maybe innings in the last decade. I would love to know that. It is out there. I have seen, I haven't seen a graph like you, you mentioned, but I have seen, you know, stats showing like, you know, what it was like five years ago, what it was like 10 years ago and comparing it. And and you're right. It's grown exponentially. It's, It's taken off incredibly. Well, Jeremy, if that's the thing you can refine, it seems to me that would be a great thing for us to put out from our Twitter account, which, by the way, at BTYL podcast, be sure to find us on Twitter. And hopefully we can relocate that information for you and push it out to our loyal followers. 
Yeah, yeah, good stuff in there. Uh, bad stuff with Cubs baseball. A little bit of everything in this 10-game losing streak, which is the longest losing streak right now in Major League Baseball. Pitching, both starting rotation and bullpen imploding day in and day out. Not a lot of great hitting either from the Cubs, especially, Jeremy, to your point a minute ago, with runners in scoring position. It's like the bats lock up, the luck goes away. It's a confluence of so many things, including injuries, resulting in this just complete disastrous stretch of baseball. The Cubs and the Reds tied for last place in the National League Central with a record of 23-40. and 40. Now, I do want to note one thing. You said there hasn't been a whole lot of good hitting, and you are, of course, correct. But I do want to note uh, fan favorite and favorite of the pod, Christopher Morrell. He had a bit of a rough stretch recently. He had a couple games where it looked like he was getting away from that plate discipline that we have been raving about. And he had a couple offers. He had a couple one furs. He has come back pretty strong in the last few days. He's homered in each of the last two games. He's had multiple hit games. Oh, okay. He's had one multiple hit game, but the point is it looked like he was starting to get away from what had been making him successful. And now he's readjusted back. So we know a guy like this has a lot of flaws that maybe other teams are going to start taking advantage of it's on him to adjust back and so far he has shown at least some ability to do that so uh, as I, I was thinking as i was listening to today's game like look they're probably going to lose but if we can get successful christopher morell out of it that makes him happy and if he's happy we're happy because you can't yeah. not be happy when christopher morell is happy He's a ton of fun to watch, and he has been a bright spot in this dark stretch of Cubs baseball. Wilson Contreras, also a huge bright spot. He's just tearing the cover off the ball, playing aggressive baseball. So fun watching him, although we know we're running out of time watching him in a Chicago Cubs uniform. Another player that I wanted to talk about, even in this tough stretch of baseball, a guy who, when he's in the game, you're watching. You figure this is a guy that should be a big part of a Cubs resurgence Caleb Killian. We get the second look at him as a major league starter. Uh, not a great start, Jeremy. Four innings, five runs, all earned, five walks, and no strikeouts. A little bit of a buzzkill there in the second look at Caleb Killian. Yeah, that, you know, in comparison to the first start, that last start was a mess. I mean, it was a very hot day, very humid. Um, you know, there was probably problems in terms of holding onto the ball, getting a good grip. Ryan Reathers also had some issues on for the Padres on the mound. But, you know, to me, that's almost just a game you just toss. Like, there's really nothing to take from that. Um, I, I, I don't think that's the Killian we'll see going forward. Uh, tons of walks, losing control of the ball. Like, for a guy that had 13 walks in 100 innings, like, I know it's AAA, but still, like, that's not that far a difference. And so I, I think he'll be fine. I, I don't really worry about it. But not really the start you want to see. In my mind, I just accept the first start. I thought he pitched very well against St. Louis. And so I'll just oh, I'll think about the first start. But he's here to stay, it seems like now. So I'd like to we'll see what he happens with this third start coming up. It, it does sound like from the comments from the front office that with all the Cubs injuries, they have elected to keep Killian up and in the rotation right now. And honestly, great. At least every fifth day, we can hope to see something promising out of him. And you know, if that's not the case, if we're watching some other retread, get that start. That's not the case. So at least that's something to watch for is we get to see Caleb Killian every fifth day now, and we hope he, he can build on one okay start and one not so okay start and go upward from there. Yeah. Uh, tough though, seeing him difficulty locating the strike zone. Randall, you had the observation the other day, mini Bob Howry. That's what you're seeing, at least in the facial the face. structure. Absolutely. Of Killian. I, I am. I, I see he's got kind of that, 
I, I don't even know how I would describe it, but I do know I put it out on my Twitter account the night he the night he made his major league debut. I see a young Bob Howery in Caleb Killian. Hopefully not career-wise necessarily, though Howery did some okay things in his career, but just facially, I do see a, a young Howery in him. Lou loved him some Bob Howery, and okay. Alfonso Soriano probably loved him some Bob Howery, and he was at the ballgame the other day. He was. Yeah. Cool to see Elf out at Wrigley Field. We retweeted this on the BTYL Twitter account, that Grand Slam 2009 that he hit against the Houston Astros, the game the three of us were at. That's all-time Elf. He had some great moments in a Cubs uniform, and even though that wasn't a playoff team, that Grand Slam, one of the hardest hit home run balls I've ever seen at Wrigley Field. Yeah, That's all-time Elf, and that's all-time behind the yellow line. As uh, I, I think it was Jeremy, maybe it was Ronan, whoever tweeted it. As one of you noted in the tweet, we were in, stack, in fact standing behind the yellow line for that game. And not that we could hear it uh, at the ballpark, but in rewatching that highlight hundreds of times, I'll always note how you can hear the ball go clunk as it hits the roof of the batter's eye lounge out there in center field. I don't know that I could even see where it landed from our, our vantage point at the very back of the concourse that night, other than I knew the game was over. But yes, yeah. an all-time ball game for Soriano and an all-time ball game for all three members of this podcast. I just remember uh, that ball going out to dead center field just when he hit it, just straight up into dead center field. Uh, Soriano, it was kind of a frustrating ball game leading up to that, but he ended all of that and he took it out. And, uh, you know, Randall and I, for a time period there, we were at the last two walk-off grand, and then Bodie happened, but there were two in a row walk-off grand slams, and both Randall and I had seen them with uh, Soriano and Hayward. How about that? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty classic. I remember a Jake Fox Mike Fontenot incident in that ball game. There was. There was Ronan not very happy with Lou Pinella, and understandably so. Uh, memorable night, though, as the Cubs knock out the Astros back in 2009. I was thinking about Bob Howery as well. Famous for being a Chicago Cub and a Chicago White Sox. There have been players over the years that have done that, but one of the more recent examples. Randall, do you have a favorite Bob Howery moment? I or do have a, moment I do have a favorite Bob Howery moment. I'm thinking 2007. It was a game against, I want to say the Giants, maybe the Pirates. I don't know off the top of my head, but I do remember that it was the nice, I want to say the Giants. It was the night the Cubs acquired Jason Kendall from maybe Oakland. He wasn't in uniform yet, but I do remember Aramis Ramirez hitting a go-ahead two-run double into the left field well off the wall. And then Bob Howery coming in to close it out. Ryan Dempster was on what was then the disabled list with uh, an injury of some sort. Bob Howery came in. He closed it out. I'll go with that as one of my favorite Bob Howery memories. He only had the one pitch, and that was the fastball. But when he was on, he threw that fastball well, and occasionally it was fun to watch. Yeah, he could locate it a bit on the edges. You know, that's what Bob Howery would do. For me... I believe against Colorado when he yeah. kind of didn't do it. And the dude ran out on the field and said, you're blowing the game. <laughs> Something I'm sure all of us have wanted to do at some point. Randall, I'm sure has definitely wanted to do. I've never but, wanted to uh, run out on the field, but I've, I've shouted. Well, I mean, things I'm not saying you would actually do it, but I'm just saying in your mind, like, you know, <laughs> like I just want to say some things to this ball, ball player on the field. Uh, but the Cubs, you know, I think Soriano hit a walk off that game. So he I, did. I, uh, I was at that ball that game. Yeah. yeah, that was a classic ball game. Uh, Howry blew it in the top of the ninth. The Cubs back in the bottom of the ninth. I remember Mark DeRosa started it. Coy Hill, a guy I mentioned last week on the show, kept the ball game alive. He was pinch hitting for Howry, slapped the ball out to left field, and then Soriano won it with a flare. Cubs won that game 10-9. to Wild team in 2007, a division championship team. That, for me, is kind of the Bob Howry night. Uh, that guy, by the way, arrested, all that stuff. So you can't go on the field, but 
I wouldn't go up to Bob Howery and get in his face. Bob Howery was a big dude. You know, maybe not the best player of all time, of course not, but big dude. I wouldn't want to uh, pick a fight with a guy like that. I am correct, by the way. They were playing the Giants July 16, 2007. Howery did come in for the save, and he went one, two, three, a ground out, a pop out, mm-hmm. and a strikeout swinging of Benji Molina, uh, older brother of Yadier, for the yeah. save that night. So I was correct. They were playing the Giants July 16, 2007. Well, Bob Howery was on some good Chicago Cubs teams. This team, again, continues to fall apart. How about this? Doesn't get any easier this weekend. Three-game series, the defending World Series champions, the Atlanta Braves coming out to Wrigley Field. Atlanta has won 14 consecutive games, the longest winning streak in baseball, the Cubs with 10 straight losses, the longest losing streak. Yikes, this could get ugly this weekend. It's the unstoppable force versus the very movable object. But you know what? You know what? The Cubs are going to end their streak and they're going to end Atlanta's streak this weekend. Just you watch. I like that, Randall. Ozzie Albies broke his foot, fractured his foot, and he's a Cubs killer. So he is a Cub killer. So so somebody else will just have to step up and be the Cub killer this weekend. Plenty of (laughs) plenty of uh, plenty of options. That's right. Well, Cubs fans are getting restless. Uh, This is, as we said, a historically bad stretch. Of Chicago Cubs baseball. Um, this podcast, when we made our predictions a couple of weeks ago before the season started, we were relatively pessimistic. Jeremy and I had the team not making the playoffs. I had the team losing 90 games. Randall was the optimist in the group saying, hey, we're going to win this awful division. It's obviously not working out. Um, no. a, a narrative that I see popping up a lot because fans are lashing out. They're frustrated. They're chewing chewing on objects, chewing on the, the walls, doing what they do. I, it's everything. It's David Ross. It's Jed Hoyer. It's just Tom Ricketts, right? A lot of frustration from Cubs fans. We're not that far removed from competitive baseball at Wrigley Field. And this really feels like we're not even close to the team being competitive. It's not like there's an easy solution for this team next year to be a 90-win franchise. So people are getting restless. Anyway, there's a narrative that's really percolating right now. Basically, something must be done. Is that a little overboard? Or where are we feeling right now, Jeremy? Do you believe... 10 straight losses, the way this team is playing, the lineup that they're fielding. Is there something that must be done immediately to work on what's going on here? I don't believe there's any like immediate something must be done type deal. I, I think in the off season, it would be nice, you know, in terms of how about something must be done to spend some money and bring in some top uh, notch players and free agency. But I don't, I don't like, if you're talking about, you know, firing somebody or moving on for something, I, I don't see any reason why, at this moment, that would be the move to make. First of all, despite what everybody, you know, I know all the frustrations, but not, nobody thought this team was very good. Even the most optimistic people, I was kind of an optimistic person, thought, okay, maybe if something happens, they can fluke into a, a playoff spot. It's not a terrible team in terms of like 60 losses, 100, or excuse me, 60 wins, 100 losses, but maybe they can fluke. But like, it's not a team that there's not a ton of talent on the roster. There's a lot of holes. So I don't, I don't, what, I, I don't see like there's no move to make that's going to change the trajectory of this team right now. So I don't see why something would have to be done at this moment. I agree. I think it's incredibly silly. I think it's wanting to see action just so you can say you've seen something done. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just curious what people would have them do. I don't think firing David Ross serves any real purpose at the moment. 
if there's one thing I would like to see done, it's maybe jettisoning some of the dead weight and giving those spots to guys with some promise. We don't need to see Jason Hayward on the team anymore. We've harp on this every week. If you wanted to get rid of him and give all of his at-bats to Nelson Velasquez, maybe Nelson Velasquez is going to be just as bad, but there's a possibility he might be better and he might be a great deal better. And that serves the team a whole lot more to see if you have that. So I don't know that something huge needs to be done. I think there are moves on the margins you could make to at least try and help out your future and your player evaluation, but something must be done. I think that's the call of people who are just frustrated and lashing out and they've run out of walls to scratch up and, and chew on. And I just don't think it's particularly logical. Yeah, I agree with you there, uh, Randall. Uh, if you're going to talk about, you know, moving on from some dead weight and giving some opportunity for guys to see if they could be part of the future, hundred percent agree with that. Like firing David Ross, Andy Green is not, going to manage this seem to like a 50 like he's not even Mike Quaddy when they when Lupinella whatever and Mike Quaddy took over and it was a he went on a run but it, that's not really gonna even if the Cubs go on a run they're not gonna go anywhere and it's not like so I don't I don't see what the idea is like what major move would somebody make this team's not good enough to do anything so just play out the season and give some young guys some opportunities uh, it, it's typical emotional fan, I think, driving a lot of this and media members sort of taking the bait. It's easy to write about something like this because fans are emotional right now. They're, they're, they're pissed off at how bad this team is. And I also think this feeling of it's not like there's an easy fix adds to that anxiety because it's not going to be an immediate turnaround. And for someone like me, even who was pessimistic coming into the year, I'm beginning to think that, yeah, that timeline of this team really isn't going to be very interesting until maybe 2024 or 2025. I'm starting to think that that's, that's the way that this is going. And I don't think that needed to happen. I thought the whole point when Theo came in and they did the last rebuild is we're going to structure the organization in a way that you're not going to need a huge teardown, a multi-year massive tour down of players of trying to rebuild the farm system. It's horrific. And when you are a team that is in a big market, when it's so easy to say, hey, it's so expensive to go to Wrigley Field, that's not really true. It's expensive for season ticket holders. It's not that expensive for a fan who knows how to use the internet these days. Pretty cheap to go to Wrigley Field. I know where it's coming from, but I'm with you. This isn't David Ross's problem. This isn't Jed Hoyer's problem. This is an organizational problem for sure, but there's no easy solution here. And uh, other than, yeah, cutting guys like Hayward, this is what it is for the time being. Yeah, I agree with you, um, especially with the part about the rebuild. And that's probably why this rebuild feels a little bit worse than the last rebuild. Because if you look honestly, it's – I mean, the Cubs won't even use the word rebuild. Like, Jed won't even use the word rebuild. Um, but they kind of failed. I mean, I mean, they didn't. They succeeded in be creating a great team that went on to win the World Series and be competitive for, you know, four or five years. But they failed at kind of the plan of, okay, we're going to keep going. We want to be in the world uh, playoffs seven out of every 10 years and kind of uh, extend this kind of window. And they kind of missed that. And so, unfortunately, they have to go through it kind of again. Hopefully it'll be a little bit quicker than it was from 11, 12, 13, 14, but uh, – or 12, 13, 14, to be honest with Theo. But uh, – I agree with you that it's frustrating to have to go through it again. And there's some moves out there they can make this offseason. So hopefully 24, they'll be somewhat competitive. Um, but the way this season's going, it's kind of, it's, it hurts. It, it definitely yeah. hurts. I agree with that. Yeah, totally. Um, I do think some fans and media members, like I said, overreact a little bit about, you know, the cost of going to Wrigley Field. Concessions are what they are. It's like that basically everywhere. Uh, season ticket holders are getting burned right now. 
because Wrigley is not full. Uh, It's very cheap to get a ticket. We're talking under $10 if you want to sit in that old 500 level. Pay a little bit more for nicer seats. Jeremy, you had wonderful seats at the ballpark today. Uh, Three years ago, those seats are maybe more than $100, uh, certainly on the secondary market. Today, a fraction of that cost to get out to the park. So uh, it's tough. It's really tough seeing all of this play out. Um, And we got to be ready for the long haul here. I just think that the people that are advocating for Ross getting fired or Hoyer getting fired, you're being a little too emotional. I saw someone today, Tommy Hadovy has to go. If the Cubs fired fired Tommy Hadovy, there are 29 other organizations that would be on the phone with him within about a minute. So let's just pump the brakes here on that emotional stuff. And the good news is I don't think Jed Hoyer is an emotional guy here. I think he's cold for some of the things he's had to do. And I'm not really worried about that. It's just as a fan, it's a little tiring to see some people overreacting to this to this just dreadful stretch. And that's, that's the nature of sports fandom is we are emotional. We are not necessarily logical or rational. We would all make terrible Vulcans. I, I kind of wonder how Vulcans handle sports fandom. Cause you know, Vulcans inherently logical. You saw it, DS nine, Randall, you saw the team baseball team made of Vulcans. I, I saw them play the sport. I did not see them necessarily be fans of the sport. It was two very well, different when they things. They were on Jeremy. the bench. They were fans. Yeah. And they didn't do anything. So I guess that answers my question. Anyway, now Ronan, I, I agree. And I, I completely understand people who have nothing but an emotional reaction to this team right now. It's hard to watch. We watch this team because we are fans of this team. If we could take off that fandom, like a t-shirt, we would have a long time ago. If we could disconnect ourselves, we would have years ago, but we can't do that. And so we are, I don't want to say forced, we are compelled. We are compelled to follow this team and it's hard to see them this bad. And I understand that, but I think it's okay to be lizard brained in the moment. And then we take a step back and realize that, you know, firing David Ross, firing Tommy Hadovy, making some big moves just to make a headline. It's not going to help the team at all. It might make you feel better for five minutes, but it's not going to help the team. I get being angry and frustrated that the team is in the place it is in now and being angry about that. And for the reasons why it's there, I, I what I don't get is being angry when like, you know, some Mark Leiter Jr. is pitching and the Cubs are giving up 10 runs. I, I get being like, you know, it sucks. I agree with you. I want the Cubs to win every game when they're 15 games under 500. It's like, I, I just can't muster up the anger over that. It's like, okay, this is a, I, they're not good. Like this is not a good team. I, I, my expectation is they're bad. I don't know why I, I'd be angry about that. Like if you want to be angry that they're in that position, I hundred percent agree with you. I just don't get like being worked up over every moment of every game when it's clearly a bad baseball team right now that I don't get. <laughs> and and that's, that's what you have to do. You, you have to disconnect. I have to disconnect. We have to disconnect. We have to say it's not worth getting angry over this team right now. Like, yes, it's going to continue sucking watching them suck. But they do win a game. What it does not especially change anything. Nothing about this this current roster matters all that much. And I, again, it, it's difficult to realize that a lot of the time. It's difficult to internalize that. But a lot of the time, it's just not worth getting angry over. The Cubs got blown out on on Sunday, and it, it didn't even register to me. Maybe because I was working, I didn't see any of the game, but didn't even register. A bad team went on the road and they played a powerhouse team in their own tiny ass ballpark and they got their shit handed to them. I just don't know what other outcome we were yeah. expecting. And it, it just does not even register. 
honestly. I did at think this it point. was funny on uh, I think Friday's game where they went to extra innings, and Ross kept walking the guy before Rizzo. I think Judge Ross kept walking Judge, which obviously was the smart the smart call, just to face Rizzo in the extra innings. And Rizzo, I'm like, he wants Rizzo to be the hero, and Rizzo just couldn't do it. He couldn't get couldn't win the ball game, couldn't walk it off. But uh, I, I enjoyed that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it, it's been tough guys watching all of this, just a historically bad stretch of Cubs baseball. And again, it's going to be tough this weekend with Atlanta coming in for three, some, um, injury related things here. David Bodie getting back to Des Moines. He'll be in Iowa for a rehab stint for now. The dizziness is put to the side. So interesting story there, right? Like we don't even know if this guy's ever going to play for the major league Chicago Cubs again, but this is something to keep an eye on over the next couple of days. Uh, Wade Miley, this one has really sucked for him. It has sucked for the Cubs this year. Cubs pick him up $10 million in the off season. You're thinking this is a pretty, you know, sweet move for the Cubs here. This is a guy who pitched very well last year. Doesn't cost anything. Great candidate to either. If the Cubs are somehow good, he'll be a big part of it. If the Cubs aren't good, this is a guy that you can flip in July, probably get a decent return for. Now it's looking like that isn't viable. I mean, we're basically up against the wall here, Jeremy. If Wade Miley cannot make a couple of starts in a row, stay healthy and be effective, you're not getting anything, at least nothing really of value for him if you're even able to move him in July. It's it's disappointing. And Wade Miley, when he's been on the mound, for the most part, he's looked effective. He's looked like a solid pitcher. But the Cubs haven't been able to get anything out of him this season for the most part. It seems like it kind of he kind of got a late start from the lockout, didn't really know when to pick up a baseball, kind of threw him off, didn't really have spring training, kind of went pushed him back. Then he came out. He pitched very well in his first game as a Cub. But it just hasn't really been there. And part of me wonders maybe if the Reds knew something when they put him on waivers because they just kind of freely gave him up. But it's disappointing. As you said, they can't even really flip him. So you just got to hope Wade yeah. Miley comes back, gives you a start or two in July, and maybe you can make a move. Or maybe somebody is out there interested, even if he's on the the IL, but thinking, hey, he can come back. Maybe he comes back in August or in September, and that will give us a little bit extra push. But uh, it's been disappointing. And, and like I said, like four of the five Cubs stars have missed a ton of time. And that does not help you keep runs, you know, keep the other team from scoring runs. So Cubs Braves this weekend, three games at Wrigley Field. Uh, one other injury note, Seiya Suzuki, finger not healing, prescribed rest. I'll tell you, if there's one prescription Randall wants more than anything else in the world, is a doctor to give him a note that says, rest i would Randall. be all for that i would get yeah. that prescription filled immediately i would take that prescription i would love for someone to prescribe me rest what doctor can i bribe to get that prescription written we got cubs weather coming up here in a minute the three game series against the braves plus a trip to pittsburgh beautiful pnc park jeremy has a trivia section here. He's been very secretive about the topic, not sharing it with Randall and I. So when you hear it here in a minute, it's going to be the first time that we all, we've all heard that. A couple of minor league players we want to talk about still want to get to number 73 in Cubs history. If you're thinking about that now, one player has worn 73. And if you're listening to this podcast, you've seen him play as a Cub. So think about that. We'll talk about him here in a little bit. I want to ask you two, though, are you up for a mini trivia, super small trivia on a very specific topic i am up for trivia of any size large small gargantuan minuscule hit me oh i'll hit you randall yeah. I, i've been waiting for you to you, say you, that you both you both responded at the exact same time it's complete lizard brain 
I, I, so, I said I agree with Randall's all I said. <laughs> I mentioned the statistic at the very top of the show about this is the worst stretch basically of Cubs baseball since 1879. And that got me thinking, like, what the hell was Major League Baseball in 1879? I got three small questions for you on that Chicago Cubs team. And I want to say that team, which also had a stretch of two series, losing each series by at least 20 runs, they finished 13 games over 500, 46 and 33. So that wasn't a bad team in Cubs history, yet they had that tough stretch of baseball. So the first question that I have for you all, three players tied for the team lead in home runs for the 1879 Chicago Cubs. What was the home run total? I'm going to go with five. Three. One. One home run. <laughs> I was thinking one, but I yeah. went over that. Uh, the shortstop, John Peters, the third baseman, Ed Williamson, and the catcher, cool name here, Silver Flint. Yeah. One home run that year for the Chicago Cubs. What about pitching? We're talking 1879. How many total pitchers appeared in a game for the Cubs in 1879? Um, well, they, they weren't really worried about arm injuries back then. I'm going to say 20 total pitchers. I'm going to say seven. Two. 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 Two pitchers Two. the entire season. Goodness. Harry Larkin, who was a 23-year-old right-hander, 58 starts. Goodness. Frank Hankinson, <laughs> with 25 starts, also had a game in relief that year. Uh, two pitchers for the even, Were they overhand throwing it from the mound even then? I don't even know. I, I, I don't think so, Jeremy. And yeah. um, both of them, 23 from the state of New York, both of them right-handers, Terry Larkin and Frank Hankinson for the 1879 Chicago Cubs. <laughs> Last question, and I, I had to look this up. I didn't know the answer to it. Uh, what was the name of the ballpark that the 1879 Ooh. Chicago Cubs played in? That's a really good question. Um, I'm sure it was something generic. I'm going to go something like, uh, I don't know, federal federal ballpark. I, I was going to say something like West Side Grounds or something. Predates all of that. Lakefront Park. Lakefront Lake Park. Yeah. Uh, That'd be Lake a nice Front name Park. for a ballpark today, if we're being honest. Yes. Uh, uh, basically up um, up there on the north side, but uh, something that's it's hard to imagine. 30 years prior to Wrigley Field even being constructed, that was the 1879 Chicago Cubs. Uh, so a very different era of baseball. That's how bad, though, it has been for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, yeah, 1879. What do we think? Yeah, you know, I looked it up as you were mentioning it. The Lakefront Park, known also by the name the Union Baseball Grounds, baseball with a hyphen, baseball, it is on the site of what is now Millennium Park. So it truly was Lakefront Park. And not that uh, Millennium Park is any kind of eyesore, but that would, in fact, be a lovely spot for a ballpark. It says here, too, the park only hosted baseball for one year because it was destroyed in the Great Chicago Fire. <laughs> well, then, uh, did you well, say 1879? We were... That would be after the Chicago Fire. What's this saying here, then? Maybe this was the first lakefront oh, park? Oh, maybe it's the first one. Yeah. Okay. Because the fire was in 1871. Well, it's weird here. I, you know, it was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's how hot the takes were back then is they burned down the entire city. Yeah. The site I'm looking at here says uh, Lakefront Park one was 1878 to 1882 and Lakefront Park two was 1883 to 1884. And so, West Side. Uh, a very, very different time. And I should note uh, the Chicago Cubs were known as the Chicago White Stockings back then. So a name that, man, that would have pissed off Randall. Uh, but still. <laughs> 
bad stretch of Cubs baseball the last week, the last time that happened about 110 or so uh, years before we were born. Huh. Uh, pretty wild to think about that stuff. Two pitchers. That's insane. Two pitchers. Yeah. The entire season. Uh, boy, baseball has changed considerably just a from bit. that era. Just a bit. Something that has not changed, severe weather in the Chicagoland area. We'll get the forecast here in a minute. I want to ask you guys, though, was it Tuesday night? Things got haywire. It was Tuesday uh, evening, Tuesday afternoon and evening, yes. We're talking tornado sirens going off at Wrigley Field. Pretty iconic imagery there, but probably a scary day on the north side. Yeah, you know, there were there were the sirens going off. The skies were not pleasant for a short time. It should be noted that most of the tornado activity was radar indicated, as we have discussed in the past. That is when the Doppler radar indicates that there is rotation in a storm. It does not necessarily equate to a tornado touchdown. And my understanding is that if there were any touchdowns uh, in the Chicago area, there were not very many of them. And they were very brief, but yet the sirens were going off and that's never fun. Jeremy, I don't know if you were in the suburbs or the city that evening, but did you get to experience the wonder of the sirens as well? I got to experience the wonder of the sirens. Uh, I, I made this joke before, but that's what I, that's what I personally call uh, Chicago Bears weather when there are no touchdowns or just very limited amount of touchdowns. There you go. It's the Matt Nagy, uh, it's the Matt Nagy forecast. Yeah, that's what I call it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy. And, uh, you Darvish is out there warming up at the ballpark. While he was and Darvish Darvish off. is that unique kind of crazy. He said that with the tornadoes, the tornado sirens made him feel nostalgic for Wrigley. And I'm, I'm just kind of wondering what you Darvish experienced in his time as a cub that tornado sirens made him feel nostalgic for Wrigley, but you Darvish is a, a different kind of cat. So good for him. Yeah, uh, totally. I've been to some memorable weather days. We talked about the big game in 2008, against the Astros, where, again, the tornado sirens going off as a derecho ripped through Wrigleyville there. Uh, I was at a game in either 90, I want to say it was 1999, against the Houston Astros, where a huge storm rolled into Wrigley Field, crazy lightning. There's some classic photos from that. Uh, it, it's it's kind of cool, I think, to be at Wrigley Field in severe weather. I'm a little bit of a weather geek. I enjoy that stuff. But nerve-wracking when you are in a place where the tornado sirens going off. And I remember. Back, Jeremy, at Maple, we had a teacher, either seventh grade or eighth grade. There was like this substitute teacher that came in and he was a huge weather guy. Maybe he was trying to be a meteorologist, whatever. He was our guy. And I remember him telling me, Ronan, at some point, a legitimate tornado is going to hit Chicago. It's it's going to happen at some point. It, it The odds are just in the favor of that happening. And with weather getting more and more severe, you figure it's kind of inevitable. It's scary to think that that possibility does exist. And if you're going to be in a tornado, where else, I guess, than in the friendly confines? Yeah, you know, we've, we've seen some weather. Uh, you, hey, Pearl Jam, 2013. We all, they filed everybody out of the ballpark for That's lightning right. in the area. Randall, you have a, a specifically, I'm trying to think of one day where you and I were at Rigby Field together. I think it was a minor league game where, it was yes, chaos. It, it was one of those annual games where uh, the Cubs affiliate, I believe then the Peoria Chiefs, their affiliate, there was some significant weather going on at Wrigley, a whole lot of a whole lot of heavy rain. I don't know that I've been for Wrigley or for a whole lot of severe weather. I've certainly been there in thunderstorms. I've been there in rain. I've been there for some real neat uh, post storm or pre-storm skies. I don't know that I've ever been in severe weather at Wrigley. I don't know that I'm missing that necessarily, but uh, I've, you know, I've, I've certainly been at Wrigley for weather. 
I recall a game. I wonder if you guys are both on the same page as me. It was in that dark era, maybe 11, 12, 13. Upper deck, right field line. Like we were down the line quite a bit. Tremendous fog at Wrigley Field that night. Yes, we were. We were. About? Yes, we were on the left field side. Was that a Doug Fister night, Jeremy? That was a Doug Fister. <laughs> I think it was also the night like the NBA draft. I want to say the Bulls drafted Doug McDermott, but that was a was yes. the Nationals. Was that was the, the night Fister they night. drafted Dougie Fresh. We were uh, slightly on the third base side that night. Can we get I, a box score pulled up, Randall? I can sure look. Yeah. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, that was like 2013 or something. Yeah, like 2013. Wellington Castillo homered. One woman in front of me was more interested in standing up and turning around to talk to her friends. I asked her, hey, could you, you know, take a seat? I'm trying to watch the ball game. And she turned around and said to me, why? So she she may have had a point. She may have had a point, but I wasn't going to I wasn't going to let her know that. So we we travel back in time to the illustrious 2013 Chicago Cubs, yeah. the year of Wellington Castillo and all manner of other fascinating individuals. We take a look at their schedule. And Jeremy, you're positive it was against maybe the Nationals, maybe? I Whoever Doug Fister was pitching for at that time, I thought it was the Nationals. Well, uh, we will take a look. It's probably better if I look for Wellington Castillo versus the 2013 well, Cubs. Or you can look for Doug Fister versus the Cubs. I feel like that would be easiest. Yeah, well, Randall, I'm going to look for the guy who was actually on the Cubs at the time versus, right. versus Mr. Fister. I'm Randall, while you're looking that up, uh, just a couple of uh, background info on this team to refresh uh, folks that were around but maybe don't remember the details. 2013 Chicago Cubs managed by Dale Swaim. 66 and 96, the last place finish in the National League Central. Uh, 2.6 million fans out at Wrigley Field that year. Uh, Cubs lineup. Throughout the course of the year, Wellington Castillo, Anthony Rizzo at first, the middle infield, Darwin Barney at second, Starlin Castro at short, the late great Luis Valbuena, the third baseman, and man, this outfield, Alfonso Soriano, David DeJesus, Nate Sheerholtz. Uh, other guys that sort of popped up on the team that year, Junior Lake, Cody Ransom, Julio Bourbon. Remember that guy, Julio Bourbon? Uh, Scott Hairston around and uh, some interesting yeah, names. It, it was 2014 though. Oh. 2014. Well, that's why <laughs> I, I can't for, for you're going on. I was like, it's 2014. Well, the tw- thought, not that the tw- not that the 2013 Cubs weren't fascinating. Also, I thought Randall just said it was 2013. He did, did but it was it? 20. It, I said it was the year whatever year Doug Fisher was on the Nationals. <laughs> it was 2014. I have the well, our, Nationals lose the Cubs as fogs over uh, hovers over Wrigley Field. Cubs. Bats cut through the fog to down the nets. I got a whole bunch of articles. <laughs> I was just curious if there were any standouts from the box score that night. Players, performances. Yes, I, absolutely. I really we don't have... remember much about the game. I remember the fog, though, and yes, where we were sitting we down have, the We have Louis Valbuena playing third base. May he rest in peace. Louis Valbuena, Sky Point. Uh, Starlin Castro was in the lineup that night. Justin Ruggiano, who I, th- I thought was going to be a pretty useful player for the Cubs. It was not the case. He was in the lineup that night. He actually had two hits and drove in two runs that night. So good for him. Travis Wood was the starting pitcher. Darwin Barney was the second. Junior Lake was in center. There was a lake in center and fog in the sky. Uh, Coglin got a pinch hit appearance. And Pedro Strope and Hector Rondon both appeared in that game. Yeah, it was a it was a fun game. It was a, a crazy game. Uh, I remember Denard Span being out there as well. So you are correct, Denard Span yeah. batting leadoff and playing center field for the visiting Washington Nationals on June twenty sixth of twenty fourteen. That is bad correct. team back then, but it predated a good team. Uh, Cubs 
bad team right now. Atlanta's in this weekend. They're red hot. Cubs go to Pittsburgh after that. Randall, weather-wise, what are we looking at the next week? Well, weather-wise, it is time for everyone's favorite segment of Behind the Yellow Line. Then, of course, is weather, provided to us by Alexander Hall of Cubs Weather. Find him on Twitter, at Alexander Hall. Find them on Twitter, at Cubs Weather. All very easy to remember. Versus the Braves this weekend, the series vibe, all aboard the Comfort Coaster. Three great days to get out to Wrigley meteorologically, of course, and you can choose your own adventure temperature-wise as warm days bookend a cool, lake-influenced Saturday. Uh, Friday, a 1.20 p.m. start, as all Friday games should be, 80 degrees, clear, comfortable humidity, and the wind in from left field at 10 miles per hour. Saturday will be a fair bit cooler, especially for mid-June, 65 degrees with that Great Lake breeze, mostly sunny, comfortable humidity, and the wind in from right field at 15 miles per hour. And then finally, the conclusion, Sunday at 120, 80 degrees once again, partly cloudy, again, comfortable humidity with wind out to the left field corner at 10 miles per hour to variable with the lake influence. And then the Cubs go on the road to beautiful PNC Park at the confluence of the Three Rivers versus the Pirates. The series vibe, a nice start ramping up to a warm and steamy getaway day game. Monday night at 6.05 Central Time, temperatures about 70 degrees, mostly sunny with light winds. The Tuesday night game at that same time, 81 degrees, mostly sunny with an outside shot at a little bit of rainfall. And again, light winds. Wednesday night, again, that same 6.05 Central Time start time, temperatures in the low 80s, again, mostly sunny with a wind out to center field at 5 to 10 miles per hour, and then it will warm up like the bats, the Cubs bats hopefully will, but don't cross your fingers, Thursday, 11.35 a.m. Central Time, 90 degrees, mostly sunny with a light breeze. So as always, we thank Alexander Hall and his cohorts at Cubs Weather. Uh, Colin and Andrew, be sure to follow them on their wonderful account at Cubs Weather. When Chicago has severe weather bearing down, you can always count on them to provide the updates. Who needs to maybe head for the basement? Who needs to look out the window? So follow them, not just for Cubs weather, but for your severe weather updates as well. Thank you, as always, to Alexander for the weather. Yeah, yeah, good stuff there. Uh, memorable week, though. Huge storm on Tuesday. I, I live in Denver. I love where I live. I'm a Chicagoan at heart still. I get the weather alerts, right? When Cook County, when something's popping in Cook County, I get the alerts on my phone. I like to keep tabs on it. Talked to my parents a day or so ago. They were hunkered down in the basement there in Glenview. Tornado siren going off. My mom was saying the intensity of the lightning, the frequency and the intensity of it was just incredible, it, overwhelming. It was, it was continuous thunder and lightning for what felt like a good 10 to 20 minutes. Just one long, continuous boom and rumble, and the lightning did not cease at any point. These storms, wow. fortunately, were more spectacle than they were damaging, but they were quite voracious while they were passing through. Jeremy, I was wondering if you were in Glenview or if you were in Chicago and how bad it was where you were at. Uh, I actually was in Glenview. And I, I feel like... I thought it was Monday night, but I don't know. Uh, I was in Glenview that night, and uh, it was pretty crazy. The alarms were going off, the the the, the sirens. Uh, but the surprising thing was none of the patio furniture blew out. But it just seemed like it was crazy. I was like totally surprised. That everything was okay. Jeremy, I, I was envisioning you smoking, and I'm talking about meat. You're you're into smoking meats, uh, short ribs, Love and briskets. I, I was picturing you out on the patio, funnel clouds swirling above Glenview. You you basically live right underneath that tornado siren on Finkston. I mean, it's it's a couple it's hundred loud. feet or whatever. Yeah, I, but I could just see you out on the back patio, smoke up in the air, nice uh, tasty brisket or something in there, uh, getting the temperature right. 
Well, I smoked a chicken the night before, so that was part of the reason why I was up there. So I was I was covered over over the smoker, making sure no harm came to it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I had a pretty cool Colorado weather event here the other day. I'll keep this short, but 80 degrees in Denver. Decided to go for a hike up in the high country. Uh, one of my favorite drives within 90 minutes or so of the city is this thing called Guanella Pass. Gets you up to about 11,700 feet. Jeremy, I think we've done that drive. I feel like I've brought you up there before. I believe um, it's have. nice though, because you're up above the tree line. Um, we got up to the top of that again, about 11,700 feet or so. It is dumping snow. So you can imagine it's 80 degrees in Denver. You're in shorts and a t-shirt. You get in the car. By the time you hit the top of that road, we were planning on hiking too up there. Snow is dumping down, ice cold. Um, I saw something that gets some of the weather geeks excited, thunder snow. I'm up there, up at the peak. I can see these massive dark clouds coming in. You hear thunder, and then instead of all the lightning and the rain, big chunks of snow and hail dropping from the sky. Wild. But I was enjoying it. The weather geek in me uh, was excited. I just wish Randall could have experienced that. I think he would have been a little bit scared there in the car as the storm was raging down. The old Cantori special, just looking skyward and shouting, thunder, snow, twice in one storm. The old Jim Cantori special. We should all be so lucky. Yeah. Um, pretty interesting stuff, though. I get excited about things like that. All right, Jeremy, speaking of getting excited, you have had me on the edge of my seat, on my toes all day. Randall told me he couldn't sleep last night. He had so much anticipation. You wanted to prepare a trivia contest or some questions for Randall and I. You have not shared with us the title or the topic that's going to be covered here. So, Jeremy, what are we looking at here? Randall, good luck. Let's not embarrass ourselves too much. No guarantees. Well, I feel like it should be, to be honest, pretty obvious, you know, for some of us out there, uh, you know, they, they say the first day of summer is June 21st, but the unofficial first day of summer to me, at least it's the first mm. day of the college world series. And that starts right. tomorrow. Uh, when, and I'll actually be heading out there. So maybe I'll post some photographs on the BTYL yeah, podcast, do. Twitter account. So my first question to you, and it's all about college world series with Cubs is how, well, college baseball, with the Cubs, how many, current members of the 40 man. So that includes guys on the IL. So there's more than 40 members played division one college baseball. Ooh, hmm. good one. That's, that's a really good question. I'm going to try and run down. There's at least one. There is at uh, least one. That's yeah, correct. Keegan, yeah, a lot more yeah, than one. At least one. Ke- Keegan <laughs> Thompson. Auburn. Yeah. It. Okay. So I've, I've hit the bare minimum here. I'm um, going to, I'm going to jump it, jump here. it, go jump yeah. it. I like to be festive. You be festive. I'm thinking there's a, quite a few international players, of course. Uh, a handful of guys that were high school guys, a handful of guys that maybe were JUCO or D2. I'm going to say 22 Division One players on the 40-man roster. I'm going to say 17. 17 Division One players on the 40-man roster. Ronan, I thought you were going to get it when you said you'd like to be festive. I thought you had the number. You are the winner here if it's closest to the number. The correct number is 21. Ooh, I thought maybe you were going Sammy at first. Yeah, well, I'm always thinking Randall. Randall first, Sammy second. And are the, I know Randall was going down the list, but are there any some names that stand out to you and where they pitch? You said Keegan Thompson, yeah. Auburn. Keegan Thompson, Auburn. Played, to be honest. Uh, Keegan Thompson, Auburn. I'm trying to think. Nick Madrigal, Oregon State. Sure. Uh, let's see. I know Jason Ethan Hayward Smart. wasn't. What did you say, Ronan? I missed that. Ethan. Ethan Roberts? Ethan Roberts. Uh, it was either Eastern Tennessee or Middle Tennessee. Tennessee Tech. Ten- okay. Well, shit. Close enough. Close <laughs> One enough. of those Tennessee schools that's not Tennessee. It counts. It's D1. Yeah. 
Of course, of course. Uh, um, just just some notable ones if uh, yeah. you guys are looking. Uh, I'm surprised. Scott Efros, Indiana. Oh, geez, of course. Oh, yeah. geez. Kyle Hendricks, Dartmouth. You have Cody yeah. Hoyer at Wichita State. Brandon Hughes, Michigan State. Caleb Killian, Texas Tech. Uh, Wade Miley went to Southeastern Louisiana. David Robertson, an Alabama boy. Michael Rucker, BYU. Uh, Drew Smiley, Arkansas. Marcus Stroman, Duke. Uh, Jan right. Gomes played at Tennessee, later transferred to Barry University, where he was transferred, uh, where he was drafted from. B.J. Higgins, Old Dominion. Nico Horner, Stanford. Nick Madrigal, Oregon State. Alfonso Rivas, no longer on the big club, but on the 40-man. Arizona. Frank Schwindel, St. John's. And Ian Happ, Cincinnati. Now, out of all those hmm. names I kind of listed, do you know how many of them actually did play in the College World Series? Of the 21, of the 21, uh, eight, four, four. Well, you guys, you, you, you got around it. It's halfway in between. The correct number is six, six. So it can't, I guess a half point Hill. to each if you want to do it. Um, the six that have played in the college world series. Well, before I ask it, do you know who the only champion on the Cubs roster is? Uh, uh, Nick Madrigal. That is correct. Randall Good Nick one. Madrigal is the only one. The six that have played in the college world series or have been on a team that has made it to the cultural series is probably the better way I should say it. Cause I didn't actually quite look at their stats. Scott Efros for those Indiana yeah. Hoosiers when they made it to the college world series, Caleb Killian at Texas tech uh, for the college world series, Drew Smiley at Arkansas, Nico Horner for Stanford, Nick Madrigal for Oregon state and Alfonso Rivas at uh, Arizona. There was one member of the Cubs organization Ooh. who did a rare feat. And now in the old days, prior to about, 10 years ago, I would say you used to be able to transfer in college baseball, with no penalty. And I feel like the NCAA is going towards that in all sports now, but baseball used to be able to transfer no penalty. What member of the Cubs organization played in the college world series with two different schools? Very few people have ever done that. Hmm. Keegan Thompson. Not Keegan Thompson. Uh, let's go with not Marcus Stroman. Uh, I am going to say, I'm going to guess Scott Efros. Well, I guess maybe I worded, I was trying to word it a little ways. It's member of the organization. It's not really a player, a right. current player. Uh, it is actually the manager, David Ross. Well, with Florida wanna, and yes. with, hang on, hang on, with Florida and with Auburn. That is correct. Auburn and Florida. Uh, there are actually five members of the Cubs coaching staff that played college baseball. They are David Ross at Auburn, Florida, Tommy Hadovy at Wichita State. Uh, Willie Harris played at Kennesaw State, amongst other schools. Is D1 baseball. Uh, Daniel Moskis, uh, we know we saw him hired. We talked about him. Assistant pitching coach. Assistant pitching coach. He played at Clemson, pitched in the College World Series. And Danny Holson, one of the greatest games I ever went to. Unfortunately, he got sick. He had eight strikeouts in three innings. Think about wow. that. Eight strikeouts in three innings against the eventual champion, South Carolina, before he got sick and was pulled. Uh, he played at Virginia. Now, this is a, if anybody was watching a recent Cubs game, this little bit of trivia would come in because it was mentioned uh, during a telecast. When David Ross played for the 1996 Auburn uh, Tigers, he had a teammate who would become a longtime major league pitcher who hit 18 home runs that year for the That's Auburn Tim Tigers. Hudson. That is Tim Hudson. Wow. Tim Hudson. Randall was watching the, the telecast. They mentioned <laughs> him as a two-way player at Auburn. So when you, when you said eight, hit 18 home runs, it dawned on me. That is correct. Uh, he was a two-way player. He had 18. Think about that. Tim Hudson hit 18 home runs. Now, it was with the bats back in the day, but 18 home runs. All right. I'm going to ask a little, some tougher questions now. Oh, the, wow. The 2018. Yeah. 
I, I got a little bit. The 2018 Oregon State Beavers won the College World Series, the Dash Champs. Nick Magical was on it. There were three other current major league players on it. Do you have any guesses? This came up recently because Madrigal was was playing. Um, yeah, you know, you know, I don't, I don't know who, who, I don't know who the other major league beavers are right now. MLB major league beaver. Well, one of them uh, was pretty high profile recently. He is was the number one prospect in baseball. He was the number one overall pick. Adley Rutschman, the catcher. Another one is Trevor Larnock. He was a first uh, round draft pick. He's playing for the Minnesota Twins. And another one has been kind of a sensational story early on this year. It took him a long time before he actually had a whiff uh, that at the plate. And that is Stephen Kwan of the Cleveland Guardians. Oh, I just saw him the other day out yeah, of Coors Field. Correct. So that's short little dude in left field. Exactly. And he's a, he played for the Oregon State Beaners, just like Nick Madrigal. And my last question, and this is probably the toughest question, I mentioned that Danny Holson pitched he started three innings and it was going to be a fantastic game. Eight strikeouts uh, and three innings, only one hit. He struck out two current major leaguers that are playing for South Carolina. Uh, one of them, they play kind of on both sides of the, of the country on different, I wouldn't say coasts, but on different sides of the country. Uh, they have both previously played for teams that Randall loves to hate. And currently one of them, season. one of them is Jackie Bradley Jr. That is correct. One of them is Jackie Bradley Jr. Good job, Randall. I was thinking Brewers would Bradley Jr. being the team there. Hey, another one is a team you hate a lot, Randall, and it's the on the other I, side of the country. The team I hate Jackie a lot on the other side of the country. So I'm guessing he's, he's a Diamondback. He is, and he's a pretty decent hitter. Um, it's not uh, Alec Alex Thomas, is it? No, he's actually from Chicago, Mount Carmel High School. His father worked for the White Sox right, trainer, and he right. out of high so, school. So, um, was it Christian Walker? It is Randall. Look at Randall. It's Christian yeah, Walker. Look at this. Two South Carolina Gamecocks that Danny Olson struck out. That is my College World Series trivia. Hopefully we'll see some more College World Series. Uh, maybe one of these guys is playing this weekend. It's always fun to yep. watch playing this week. We'll end up uh, as the Cubs draft pick at number seven. What, what are you most looking forward to other than I know you like the tradition of going out there, the energy, the just the atmosphere. But player wise, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Uh, I, I'm excited. I, 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 there has been some talk I saw on the Twitter accounts, you know, of a, of a guy from Texas, who's a senior, uh, Ivan Melendez, who designated her guy can hit. I saw him hit an absolutely crushed ball. Um, that would be obviously be a guy, you know, maybe second, third, fourth round, if he's around to take a, a draft pick on a draft on, um, there's some other players out there, you know, Notre Dame is kind of shocked the world when they upset Tennessee, who was by far the best team this year in baseball. And they came through and Notre Dame made it to the college world series. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, it's going to be a fun year. It was kind of a crazy, not all the top teams kind of made it in some uh, lower teams kind of slid in. So it's going to be a fun, I think, cultural series. And I would you know, recommend anybody checking it out. It's always a fun time. New name this year, not TD Ameritrade, the ballpark. It's uh, Charles Schwab. Mm. Chucky. Rick, it's selling Chucky. out a little bit. Yeah. It's a Making cool area though. Uh, uh, Omaha is one of those cities when I'm driving to and from Chicago, when I make those trips, Overnight in Omaha, one of the better cities you can do that way. I think Des Moines is up there as well. Um, a lot of cities that are woof. Lincoln, Nebraska. Not a whole lot going on in Lincoln, Nebraska. I like Omaha, though. It's a pretty neat city there. It is a very cool city. I personally like Johnny Rosenblatt Stadium. I thought it was just a fun experience. It was on the south side of the city, kind of more neighborhoody. Um, you know, in the neighborhood, you had the zoo on the other side. But I will say the location of the ballpark now 
is right downtown. There's kind of a festive atmosphere around it, bars, hotels, everything you possibly want. I, I think the old ballpark was cooler, but it's a very fun experience. So I would also recommend if anybody ever went out to Omaha to go to the College World Series, it is a great experience. Yeah, good stuff there. We'll have a good time, Jeremy. Uh, Cubs game today, College World Series this weekend. Uh, I was out at Coors Field earlier in the week. I got a funny story related to that, but we'll end with that. Uh, for now, let's go back to the Cubs. Two minor leaguers, Randall. You're excited about uh, two of them, big names in the last year or so. What's the skinny on Kevin Alcantara and Bryce Ball? Well, Ronan, like you said, two players that the Cubs acquired uh, in last year's sell-off. We'll start with Kevin Alcantara. He's probably the more exciting of the two players. He was one of the return players from the Yankees. Uh, in the deal that sent Anthony Rizzo out in that direction. He is still pretty young. Uh, he is only 19 years old. He's soon to be 20. His birthday is July 12th, so he's soon to be 20 years old. But this is a very capable outfielder, uh, some center, some right, playing with Myrtle Beach in the Cubs system this year. And what's most interesting about him is the power and the speed which is great for the song. He has nine home runs in 231 plate appearances for Myrtle Beach this year. He also has 12 doubles and four triples. He's got excellent speed in the outfield and he's got excellent speed on the base pass when he can put one in the gap or down the lines and he can run it out. He's still very young, but again, this is a very capable hitter with a whole lot of very capable tools at a premium position. And he's still very young. This is a guy to watch as he comes up through the system and he's been on a relative tear recently. He has brought up his numbers a great deal from where they were not all that long ago so this is one of the guys you see in the box scores and in the in the, the hot sheets each night as someone who did something very interesting and it's someone that is very much worth watching as he continues to grow because this is another guy who could be very capable at a very very useful position as he continues to advance through the system the other guy maybe not as heralded this is Bryce Ball the first baseman they got from the Braves in the trade for Jock Peterson. I remember that trade dropped, uh, I want to say, during the All-Star break maybe or right before it. We were all kind of shocked. We knew it was coming, the, the sell-off. We didn't think Jock was going to go first necessarily, but the Cubs got him back from the Braves for uh, Jock Peterson. He struggled a little bit last year in his with two teams in the Braves system and in the Cubs system at Rome and at South Bend. He struggled. He only hit 206, 351. He only slugged 387. He has turned it up a little bit this year. He has seven home runs in 253 plate appearances for the uh, Tennessee uh, Tennessee Smokies this year at double A. He's hitting 281. He's getting on base at 383. That is over 30 points higher than he was getting on base last season. And the slugging has come up as well. He only slugged 387 for the entire season last year. He is slugging 442 right now. So he has some power. It's a, another guy who's limited to first base slash DH. We talked about Matt Mervis last week, but it's another guy who's hitting at a relatively advanced level because double A is the level where the prospects start to spin those breaking balls and you really start to face major league quality off-speed pitches. So if you are able to hit at double A, it's typically a good sign. And it's another guy who they might think about bumping up in the near future. And again, if you can hit, a team will find a place for you. So those are my two prospects for this week, Kevin Alcantara and Bryce Ball, both of whom came to the Cubs in last year's trades, both guys who are hitting very well this season, both guys whose names you continue to hear, and both guys who are worth watching as the season goes on. Alcantara, that's, you know, six foot six for a center fielder. That's boy. right. That's a, there's a lot of optimism that he's going to fill out too and really add some strength to that frame. And he's already a pretty strong individual. He can take the ball the other way with authority. He can put it out to right center. So this is a very capable uh, athlete 
And again, it's another player worth watching, not just because he was acquired for a beloved first baseman, but because this is a very talented and very physically capable prospect. The Cubs got back in that trade. Long arms, long arms. That's right. Long levers, as they say. Big names to watch for sure. And uh, on one hand, that's exciting. On the other hand, uh, you just wish they were a little closer to Wrigley Field because these are still guys that are years away from playing at Wrigley Field. But still, a lot of reason to be optimistic and good stuff in there, Randall. Um, I, I, I'm always interested in the farm. Now it's more important than ever, though, because when you see how desperate things are at that major league level, you're just looking for lifelines. You're looking for help on the horizon. Jeremy, these seem like two guys that are very much in the mix here these next few years. Yeah, definitely. You're, you're hoping that Kevin Alcantara could be one of those guys that, you know, could give you even star potential. Uh, young, just can hit the ball, uh, really turned it on as of late in at Myrtle Beach and single A, a tough place to hit. And some of the Cubs young guys kind of got up to a slow start, but they've been great. And then ball, like there's, you know, possibly a future DH spot, you know, maybe a bat off the bench of possible first baseman. Um, so hopefully you're hoping he's got power. So maybe he can grow into the kind of that role. I want to go back to the major league team here for a minute. Uh, I saw a photo, our buddy MBD Chicago, who's just taken incredible pictures at Wrigley field. He had one uh, he put up here a little bit earlier today. Uh, remember when no one cared, what day of the week it was, you'd get 40,000 people out at Wrigley Field. Jeremy, maybe half of that out at Wrigley Field today. There is a section of the fan base here that's saying stick it to Tom Ricketts. And one of the ways you can stick it to Tom Ricketts is stop watching games, stop going to Wrigley Field. Are either of you in that boat at, at, to any capacity? I mean, Jeremy, no. I, Yeah. No, because I'm I'm not of the belief that anything I do matters to Tom Ricketts. I'm not that important as much as I would like to think I am. If I don't go to the game, someone else will probably buy that ticket, maybe for a different amount, but they probably will. And Tom Ricketts doesn't know or care if I'm watching Cubs games. So again, I understand that sentiment. It goes back to what we said earlier about being emotional, and that's perfectly understandable. Tom Ricketts doesn't give a shit what I do to or about this team. Like, and and that's that's the truth. Like, I don't spend enough money on games for him to miss my money, and he's not monitoring my TV as far as I know. Uh, so nothing nothing I do matters to him. Well, the announced attendance today was uh, 30,000, which, uh, okay, whatever. Um, but for me, I, I, I at this point, I, like, I'm not going to buy tickets, probably not going to buy tickets direct from the box office. Um, you could get them one. I can't imagine why you would. Exactly. Um, now, of course, those tickets were all bought at face value at some point, so you are it, that money has already gone to Tom. Uh, his pocket, but I understand, as Randall said, I understand the sentimentality. I don't have a problem with people. If they want to stick it to Tom Ricketts, go ahead, go stick it to Tom Ricketts. I, I don't care in terms of uh, maybe maybe it'll work. I don't know. Me, personally, I like going to Wrigley Field. I like watching the Cubs. It's unfortunate that me doing that might, in some way, uh, kind of incentivize them not to put a competitive team out there, you know? But I like doing that. I find fun in it, and I don't really think... I think... I. Say what you will, I do believe Tom Ricketts wants to have a winning team on the field. Uh, you know, he obviously wants to do it his way, but I just, even from a mon from a fiscal standpoint, a monetary standpoint, I can have to imagine the Cubs make so much more money when they're better than they do when they're not. I just have to imagine that. Like, 
there's so much more more sales, more ticket sales, more merchandise sales, more. It's just better. The brand's more well thought of. So I just don't I just don't buy it that like Tom Ricketts is just trying to put some skeleton roster out there because he wants to keep all the costs. I don't think you spend five hundred million dollars to renovate Wrigley and do all this other stuff to just try to keep costs down as much as possible. I think he does want to put a winning team out there. So I I I choose to believe in that. Well, they can announce it at 30,000 people. That may technically be tickets sold, including the season ticket base. But I'm talking actual people out at the ballpark, maybe 20,000 people at Wrigley Field today. Um, I'll say this. I don't live in Chicago. I'll be back in two weeks. I'm going to Wrigley Field. We got intentions to go see one of those Cubs-Reds games. If I did live in Chicago right now, and I was relatively close to the ballpark, meaning I lived somewhere, let's say, within a – 20 to 30 minute, either train ride or whatever it is to get down to the ballpark. I'd be out there a lot. And I would be out there a lot going on StubHub the day of the game, buying the cheapest ticket, $7, $8 in the 500 level, sitting somewhere else, right? You don't have to sit in the seat that you buy, especially these days where the park is as empty as it is. Kind of the routine that I do with the Rockies. I get a $4 rock pile ticket. I sit somewhere in the bleachers or somewhere in the upper deck, which if I were to buy them legitimately would be 20 to $25. I like going to baseball games. If there's any golden or silver lining in this right now, it's that it's very cheap to get out to Wrigley Field. But I, I'm with those fans that don't want to pay money for the product right now. The real losers in all this, again, are the season ticket holders. But if you're a casual baseball fan, very cheap to get out to Wrigley Field these days. And sometimes I like that, right? I wish the team were better. I wish it were harder to get a ticket at Wrigley Field. But it's also nice going and seeing a baseball game for $7. Yeah, it's like it's kind of a happy like part of the reason when they got good, I loved it when they got good. It was obviously amazing. I would rather they be good than bad. But then they, you always kind of had like this nostalgia of, you know, it's so cheap to get in the ballpark. You can get in cheaply, you sit can go where wherever you want. you want, sit where you want, yeah. whatever. So for me, it's almost like I want to take advantage of that opportunity when it presents itself. I know the team stinks, but I still want to take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah. And I like as a diehard fan, as a big Cubs fan or big baseball fan, I like as a, maybe a little bit of a hipster, Randall. Uh, I like being at the front end of things, right? So Caleb Killian, he's out there. He's not playing very well right now. I do think Caleb Killian's going to be a very good pitcher in the major leagues. He's going to start and win some huge games for the Cubs in his major league career. Kind of cool being there at the very beginning and seeing him figure it out as a major league player. As a fan, to me, that is very satisfying. You want a guy to come up and dominate from day one. The reality is very few players do that. As a baseball fan, there, there is a reward there in the longevity and seeing a player slowly figure it out and then have that breakthrough moment and to know that you were there day one. That's something that matters to me, at least. You, you invested on the ground floor, and it's going to pay dividends for you. Yeah, and not just a player, uh, a, a team. Uh, yeah. You know, this team's going to – it's like sausage making. We're watching the sausages be made. It's Ooh. not pretty. It's ugly. No. But we're, we're watching the sausage be made, and, you know – there's going to be moves. There's going to be, you're going to try guys. And personally, I, I, this is how I believe in roster construction. You try different guys. You, you try to see who sticks. Like you're always trying to incrementally make the team better. This guy might not be a good player, but maybe he's marginally better than the last guy. And maybe he has a little bit more upside than the last guy. So you try to a new guy out and then you keep going. And that's why, like, I think so many people are frustrated that like a guy like Randall mentioned before is like Jason Hayward still on this roster when he's not really giving you any opportunity for the future yeah. or to prove anything. Whereas there's some other players who are like, okay, maybe there is some, maybe they're not good. They might not be good. They probably won't be good, but you know, you just want to see the sausage be made. 
you know, look at all the guys the Cubs went through, like like Ryan Kalish, Ryan Sweeney, who we still see all the time. You know, and all these different outfielders the Cubs had. You Scott Harrison, you mentioned, uh, just a bunch of guys, and then they landed on Chris Coglin, and Chris Coglin ended up being a, a key pivotal contributor to the World Series team. So like, you want to see the sausage be made? Yeah, I like the food references. Jeremy here is the uh, smoker. I've made sausage. And yeah, like Jeremy. Them. Jeremy knows how the sausage is made. I've made like- bratwurst before. Well, I like eating sausages and top of the list here, coming home for about 10 days, including multiple nights in Wisconsin, brats, hot Italian sausages, Polish sausages. Randall, it's going to be a smorgasbord of encased meat. I'm ready for it. My heart's ready for it. My stomach is ready for it. And I'm looking forward to some fine eating. Eating the the ground up cooked flesh of lesser beasts makes us strong, Ronan. That's a nice way of putting it. Uh, Sure is. Also pizza, guys. Also I'm, pizza. I'm so ready. I was talking to somebody, ironically, at the Cubs game the other night. Or I'm sorry, at the Rockies game the other night, Rockies Guardians. I'm in line for a Helton burger, and the guy next to me has an old Ron Santo Cubs jersey. So I go up to him, and you know, he and I had a nice conversation. He was from Des Moines, out in Denver to see Coors Field, and we got to talking about some of that good encased meat from the Midwest. And he said, you know, what's the best food in Denver? I said, Mexican. We, we rock it. It's very good. He said, what's the worst food in Denver? Mm. The pizza. I'm dying to get home, get some of that tavern-style pizza. And as you gentlemen know, Barnaby's, multiple Barnaby's trips coming for me in this 10-day span coming up around the 4th. Yeah, there, there's an urban legend. I'm pretty sure it's true. I guess it's not an urban legend that Elvis flew from Memphis to Denver in one night because he absolutely needed what's called a fool's gold loaf that this one restaurant in Denver made perfect. And apparently it's margarine glazed bread that gets hollowed out and baked and filled with peanut butter, jelly, and bacon. Uh, and I'm they, on board with that. Yeah, it's called a fool's gold loaf. And apparently Elvis right. flew from Memphis to Denver in his private jet one night and had a whole a whole case of fool's gold loaves delivered to him at the private hangar. He sat there, he ate, and he flew back to Memphis that night. I'm imagining you doing that if you had a private jet. Is you flying Denver to Chicago just to get yourself like a like a, a pile of Barnabies and they yeah. have it ready for you and they wheel it up to the private aviation terminal out there at what used to be Palwaukee Airport and you sit there and you eat your cornmeal crust and then you fly back to Denver. That's what I imagine you doing if you had a private jet. There'd be uh, some Italian beef on that plane, Randall, as well, coming back here. Uh, you can't really get that in Denver. And the places that try it, it's like this is not Italian beef. And you know what the worst part, Jeremy, of not having an Italian beef? The Italian combo is then not on the table. That is the real treat. You get the hot Italian sausage inside the Italian beef sandwich. And uh, that's gold as far as I'm concerned. It's the way to do it. And then, you yeah. know, if they don't have the Italian beef right, they probably don't have you know the the gravy the sauce all right so you no, can't really no, no, no. dip it or get it wet you know so i imagine it's all a whole mess yeah in more it's ways disa- than one it's disappointing to me because i think of other regional foods you can get a philly cheesesteak about anywhere and i'm not saying that the philly cheesesteaks you get in california for example are remotely close to what you get in pennsylvania but at least you can find that outside of chicagoland pretty hard to just find Italian beef in general. It's like a, a foreign concept to a lot of places. And that's a missed opportunity because that honestly, that is up there, maybe even topping Chicago pizza as the optimal Chicago food. It, it is a vastly underrated Chicago food, uh, quality Italian beef sandwich, sweet peppers, mozzarella, maybe a little bit of spicy jardiniera on there. It, it's an intensely underrated food. And we can talk about Chicago pizza 
till the cows come home. And we should talk yeah. about Chicago pizza till the cows come home because the cows make the milk that will go into the cheese that's on the pizza. Without the cows, we would have no pizza. Yum. But Italian beef, vastly underrated food. And you're right. Anywhere that doesn't have good Italian beef readily available, I imagine would be very difficult. Yeah. Randall, are you a cheesy beef guy? I am. I am a cheesy beef guy. I like cheese on my beef. Cheese and meat are two things I enjoy. When you have the opportunity to put them together with some vegetables so you can pretend it's healthy, it, you know, why not? There you go. Randall, you don't seem like the type of guy who would be disappointed that the that the Dodgers are unveiling the Kofax Trophy on Shabbat. <laughs> uh, no, you're no, with... not especially. I am. I I, I uh, do not keep kosher. I agree. Me, I agree with yeah. you 100. Give me way. give me that give me that bacon cheeseburger. Yum. Yeah, sounds good to me. All right, 73. This is a number, Randall, that has not been worn a lot in Cubs history, but it's been worn recently. Who is the lone Chicago Cub in the history of our franchise? To wear 73. Well, we, we probably all know the answer to this. So I'm going to take 10, 10 seconds to point out that uh, this year is actually 90 years since the Chicago Cubs started issuing jersey numbers. It was cool. 1932 that this franchise started wearing jersey numbers. So when we say somebody is the first player to wear a number, this franchise has been around or has had jersey numbers for its players for nearly a century. So to say you're the first person to wear a number, that's not nothing. Number 73 has been worn by one player in Chicago Cubs history, and that, of course, is young pitcher Adbert Elzelai, sadly injured right now, but he did come up in number 73 in 2019. I thought he was going to switch to a lower and maybe more traditional number as he started to get a little bit of veteran status, but he has stuck with that 73. And I would like to ask Adbert someday, is that 73 keeping it, is he keeping it by choice or are they telling him, no, no, you stick with 73 for right now. I would love to ask him that someday, but Adbert Alzali is your one number 73 in 90 years of Chicago Cubs jersey number history and i do want to note because we make use of this fantastic resource every week we get these numbers from cubsbythenumbers.com run yeah. by a very brilliant individual casey ignarski you can find him on twitter at casey ignarski find his website cubsbythenumbers.com not only can you see the all-time chicago cubs uniform number list organized from uh, zero down to double zero, doubling as a hundred, but you can also see it by season. If you want to know what numbers were worn in these storied 2013 and 2014 seasons, you can find it organized that way. It's an, a wonderful resource for people who are uniquely damaged in the head like I am. So I recommend you check it out. Cubsbythenumbers.com run by Casey Ignarski. I think it's pretty cool. And it's one of those hyper specific, you like, if you're not a Chicago Cubs fan, there's not a ton from that site that's going to generate so interest for you. Not so I mean, much. Maybe if you're a baseball fan, maybe there's certain things that you find are cool just in general, but it's very much for Cubs fans. And we're the type of people, the three of us, we care about these numbers. Uh, you see number 17 in Cubs history, KB comes to mind. Mark Grace, huge part of my childhood. That's anytime I see the number 17, uh, 217 in the afternoon, anything like that, part of the brain goes to guys like Mark Grace. So cool website for sure. I remember my license plate number because I know what Cubs were wearing those numbers when I got that license plate in 2006. So if I ever forget my license plate number, all I have to do is recite four Cubs players and one Cub, no, three Cubs players and one coach in my brain. And I know what those numbers are. And real quick, I did get his Twitter handle wrong. It is Casey with a K, the letter I-99, K-A-S-E-Y I-99. So be sure to find him on Twitter, Casey cool. Ignarski. Good stuff there. I got a real quick story from Coors Field. All right. I want to Stories preface it with Coors this. Field. Uh, Jeremy, you're out at Wrigley Field today. 
you, you talk at all to the folks next to you? You pick up any banter with the folks to your left, your right, or in front of you? A little bit. The guys, uh, the people to my left were family from Danville. Um, cool. So that was interesting. They drove up. They said, they, you know, they come to the Cubs game once every about every three years. Um, so, yeah, I, there was a little bit of that. Uh, the people to my right, they were all wearing shirts that I thought were pretty cool, or actually hats, from a, uh, an impaired, uh, impaired hockey league, which was started by Sam Makita in the 1970s, a uh, hockey league for uh, deaf hockey players. So I always cool. thought that. I thought that was pretty interesting, to be honest. Yeah. How did you know that? Did you just do a quick search when you saw the hats, or were you aware? Yeah, of I did a quick search when I saw the hats, and uh, I, I do think they were – um, deaf. So I, I didn't really try to make much conversation, or at least yeah. part of the, part of the group. So I didn't really try to make much uh, conversation yeah. with them, but, uh, that definitely, uh, was there. I, I, I searched the hats. They're all wearing the same hat. I want to know what it was. Cool. Yeah. That's nice. I like talking to the folks around me at the ballpark for the most part. Uh, guy who doesn't Randall, he's not interested in small talk with the couple to his left or the old guy to his right. He's there to watch the game himself, but I enjoy it. It should be noted, I'm more interested in small talk if they are rooting for the same team I am. If they are not rooting for the same team I am, then you are correct. I'm not interested in the small talk. But carry on. You know, I had a pretty funny exchange with a couple of Rockies fans. I spent most of the game talking to the guy to my right. He was out there with his wife and kids. I brought my own koozie to the ballpark, right? <laughs> Veteran move. It was a dead and company koozie. He was a deadhead. We were able to talk about that. So let's get into. But the a couple behind me, may have been a first date or at least a second date. I mean, very basic questions, introductory questions being asked to each other. So you're sitting there at the ballpark, a little bit awkward, hearing immediately behind you a couple on a first date. Um, I will say as the game went on, it got better. They were drinking more. They both got drunk. They relaxed a little bit. Uh, fun night out at the ballpark. But I freaked out the girl. And I thought it was very funny. There were two things that happened basically back to back. And she was weirded out by me because of the things that had happened. And I wanted to share it with you both. First thing was, uh, game goes to the 10th inning. So Manfred Mann comes out at second base. Uh, going into the 10th inning, she taps me on the shoulder. She goes, who are you cheering for? I go, I, I don't know. I guess the Rockies. I didn't really care, Guardians and Rockies. I just wanted to see a good ball game. She goes, what's going to happen here? I go, well, the Indi uh, Guardians are going to score here, and they're going to take the lead. Manfred Mann's at second. Very next pitch. Slapped out to right field. Guardians take the lead. Rockies get out of it, so they're down one run going into the bottom of the 10th inning. She then taps me on the shoulder and goes, now do the Rockies get a runner at second base? Like, is this something that both teams get? I said, yes. And then I said, but they should pinch run for him. It's Charlie Blackman. He made the last out in the bottom of the ninth. You got to pinch run for him. And she goes, why would you pinch run for Charlie Blackman? He's one of the best players on the team. Oh, no. Right? Popular opinion, right, from a casual fan at best. Understand that. Sure enough, next batter comes up, gets the ball into the outfield, reaches base safely. Blackman doesn't score. He advances 90 feet to third. Next up, it's a swinging bunt. Charlie Blackman, on one play, gotten two separate rundowns before <laughs> being thrown out at third base. He was in a rundown. The ball gets away from the catcher. He goes back to third. He's safe. Bases are loaded. Rocky's down one, remember. No, he turns back around. Comes towards home plate. He gets in a second rundown. They throw him out. Next batter bounces into a double play. Guardians win four to three. So within a 10-minute window, right before the pitch happens, I call the run scoring play. Bottom of the 10th inning, I said they got to take Blackman off the field. He's a terrible base runner at this point in his career. Blackman basically runs the Rockies out of the ballgame. I turned around. I sort of shook my head. She was offended 
She looked like I had, you know, uh, weirded <laughs> her out or creeped her out. She goes, how did you know this? I'm like, listen, I, I watch a lot of baseball. You can see this coming from a mile away. Didn't say another word to me the rest of the night. I'm pretty sure I freaked her out. But pretty funny 10 minutes or so at Coors Field. Honestly, if you're sitting here going, it couldn't have been that bad. Go on Twitter, type in Charlie Blackman, hit the video button. Maybe the worst base running on one play I've ever seen at a Major League Baseball game, especially given what was on the line. It was definitely bad. I mean, it's no uh, Ruben Rivera in San Francisco, but uh, uh, Blackman should have been able to make it to third. For, I was watching it live. I remember when you texted just being like, nonsense, I'm like, because there's a delay. And I'm like, what? And then I watched it because <laughs> I was watching it. And when he got when the ball got past the catcher, all he had to do is go back to third base. It was so simple. Yeah. Bases would have been loaded. You're down one, nobody out. Instead, an out. Ground ball, double play, ball game's over. And uh, I was just laughing coming out of the ballpark. Like, told you, Buddy Black, take Charlie out of the ball game, he gets burned. Yeah, the, the Rocky fans, they love their stars, though. They love the Blackmans. The, yeah. Manfred, the Manfred runner does more harm than good. The Manfred yeah. man, Randall. Manfred sure. man. The ghost yeah, runner, right. Jeremy. The ghost runner. He's not a ghost. He's absolutely yeah. a ghost. Because when I, kill this, when I kill this rule, it's going to come back and haunt me as a ghost. It's the ghost been runner. blinded by the light, Randall. Uh, All right, let's Bruce end with the Cubs, though, here. Uh, one final thought. What are we? Anything worth adding here? Ten straight losses, Braves coming in. Randall, give me something to be not pessimistic about here as we bring the show home. Caleb Killian staying in the rotation. He's going to get better. Christopher Morrell is going to continue to have fun and fist bump umpires and say hello to opposing players as he runs by them at third base. That That's all I got for you. I'm doing the best Fair I me. can. Uh, just enjoy it, people. You know, just enjoy life and enjoy the Cubs, even if they stink. They stink, but don't get too worked up about the fact that bad players are playing badly. Yeah. and Well, uh, well said. Lay off David Ross here. Right? What, what, look at this roster. Look at this roster. What do you realistically expect from a team based on the players that are in that lineup? Uh, Jed Hoyer, pump the brakes. That's what I'll end with here, too. Um, let's get some wins, though. This 10-game losing streak sucks. Cubs-Braves this weekend. Randall, baseball's weird. You said this at the top of the show. I want to end with it. Cubs are going to win the series this weekend against Atlanta. That would be baseball, right? The hottest team in baseball plays the worst team right now in baseball, and the worst team takes two games out of three. Let's see that happen. Make it so. All right. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, after that series in Pittsburgh, and then uh, we'll all be getting together in Chicago. Looking forward to doing the show that way at the end of June. That's it, though, for this edition of Behind the Yellow Line. We'll see you next time.